Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you very much for joining us. Today, a very interesting guest, not only someone who's got a fantastic background and career, but someone who has joined the content group team, and we're very excited to have her on board because I think she will bring an enormous amount, not only to the people who work here, but to the clients that we work for, but also for the wider community, those of us who are all around the world trying to solve this problem of how do we improve the way that governments communicate effectively with citizens and stakeholders. We've decided to change things up a little bit, and I'm not going to go through the definition this week because we did have some feedback from people saying we get it, so we won't be doing that this week. But look it up, content communication, because there's no question that it is the future for mine is the way governments will be communicating, taking this opportunity of technology now that the factors of media production and distribution have been democratised, you have that ability to be the media on behalf of your government policy, your program, your regulation, your service. And what we've got to do is collectively work together so as that we can build the skills, so as that we be become better publishers in order for us to strengthen communities and improve the well-being of citizens. So to my guest today, Petra Masanova has joined us all the way from the Czech Republic. But rather than go through a sort of line-by-line bio, I thought, why not bring her into the studio and have a conversation? Not only about her background and what she's done, but also some of her insights about how things are changing and how governments can improve the way that they communicate. So Petra, welcome to In Transition. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> Day one um, here in Canberra. Tell us, how is it that someone of your background, and we'll come to that in a moment, but how did you come to be here in Australia and, and specifically here in Canberra? Uh, I mean, throughout the history, I've been working all over the world, obviously ending up in Canberra, which is the farthest possible place I could end up. Uh, it's all caused by my husband being uh, a diplomat working in foreign affairs of the Czech Republic. And after living seven years abroad and living back in Czech Republic for 10 years, we got an offer to go to Australia. And we thought, hmm, Australia, you know, it's so far, it's maybe worth to try. There won't be any other experience of this type. And also, I think Australia is getting better and better image within Europe, definitely. Everybody are getting more and more interested especially in the way how Australians, you know, consider their values important and that their values are really values of truth. It's not like, you know, just performing, having values. And I must say that if it's something I really, really appreciate here, a part of, you know, fantastic nature, whether it was snowing yesterday in <laughs> Canberra, but it's still good. Um, I think people are like it true. I just feel that the values they talk about, they really believe in. And it's not only environment, you know, and um, the way how um, they treat the planet being so global. Uh, I think even it is how they talk to each other, how they trust to each other. When they say something, they really mean it. And I, I think I was expecting a lot of things, but I wasn't expecting this to feel so strongly. So mm. I'm really happy to be here. Obviously, mm. when we arrived 
we were thinking about Australia, you know, everybody on surf and waves and sea and, <laughs> and a, uh, hot weather. And we came last year in September. It was raining. We ended up in Chifley, which was interesting experience for the beginning. And we were thinking, okay, where's Australia? Uh, but now I must say I'm really happy uh, being in Canberra. Yeah. As one of my very good friend, British diplomat, he told me, you get used to it and then you will love it. And yeah. that's what I really do. I've yeah. been working in Sydney for uh, more than half of year. It was interesting, but I'm very happy to be back. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, that observation. It's often you don't often reflect on ourselves well, because it's impossible. Yeah. You know, you need someone with that external perspective to actually come and see but that's nice that you would say those things about Australia. Because I, you know, obviously a very proud Australian. I love the country. I mm. love, and I do think we have so many unique um, opportunities. And w- the thing we need to do as a community is really to make the most of those opportunities and not to squander them by petty squabbling and other things that may go on. Yeah. Not too far from here in the uh, <laughs> Parliament House on top of the hill. But anyway, we'll leave that for the moment. And just to maybe let's go back through your. Professional career. Where how, where did this all start? And what was your? Where did you? Where did you grow up? Actually, where where, did, where was home? Yeah, I I grew up in uh, Pilsen, which is a city close to the West German borders. Uh, I am sure Australian would know the Pilsener, Pilsener, the beer. Yeah. So it all started in Pilsen. There is still the biggest brewery uh, in Europe, and it's there's uh, a very uh, fun. When I grew I grew up in a pub, and one of the very famous beers in Australia was called. Resh's Pilsner. Ah, yeah. And it was it, – it's gone now. They, uh-huh. they, they don't sell it anymore. But in the, the 60s and 70s, it was massively, absolutely massively um, uh, popular. Yeah. My dad used to drink it and we used to sell heaps of it at the pub. I mean, Pilsner – here you can get Pilsner Urgwell, which is, I think, the best beer in the world still, being patriotic, but I really like the beer. But it's very funny about the city because it, it's it's very industrial city mm-hmm. and plus there is this brewery. So all the students would go through the brewery experience as a voluntary work during the studies. Oh, yeah. So I did too and I it was interesting. I usually started – I was like – 18 something. I started at six in the evening. I was able to drink like 10 half liters of beer overnight. (laughs) Then I came home and obviously I slept the whole day and then I ate. So the day started by me eating, then drinking the whole night, then eating again and sleeping. So I gained in a week, I gained six kilos and I stopped talking. I wasn't communicating with the parents at all. So they decided this is probably not the best way how I should start my professional career. So uh, they they said that the brewery is not the, the good, uh, you know, you just stop thinking then, you just, you know, uh, because I remember in brewery they told us you can drink anything, you just can't take anything at home. So right. it was like, you know, it was really challenging. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then from prison, when I finished university, I was studying in France for a while, uh, the French, uh, French literature and American literature and obviously French language. It was also because I grew up during the communist time. Uh, the the communist um, period. Uh, I was 18 when the communist period was exchanged to the democratic uh, yep. play. Let's say. Obviously, I remember everything. 
which was interesting. My father was um, kind of persecuted all the time. He was never a member of the party, so he was imprisoned a few times. And oh, wow. uh, we had a we couldn't travel at all, so we've been you know closed in the Soviet bloc. So the first opportunity I've got was to go to France, and I I was so amazed uh, how many things they have. You know, I, again I put on weight by eating all the baguettes <laughs> and cheese because I've never seen it before. So it is interesting, but it was fantastic, and I. I finished my university degree by um, being a master of uh, English and French literature. And then um, because at that time the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia at that time uh, was about to join the European Union, obviously the Ministry of Foreign Affairs been looking for the people speaking English and French. And there weren't much because the many because the generation of my parents, they all speak Russian. I do speak Russian still, but they've been just, you know, Russian foreign language. Um, so I joined the Foreign Affairs practically on the basis of speaking foreign languages. I remember going for interview. They said, this is for the European Union Department. And I just had to buy a little brochure in the evening, read it overnight and went for the interview, which uh, looks a bit interesting from today's perspective. But after a few interviews, I got the job. And I've been the whole uh, public service career. I've been practically a diplomat. Uh, being involved with the European affairs, but on a communication side. So I have always been in communication. I uh, I run the the communication. Uh, I don't want even to say campaign, but let's say information strategy about the uh, European integration for the Czech Republic. I was responsible for introduction of the European Union and then I became a spokesperson of the Czech EU representation in Brussels again during the time we joined. So I've been responsible vice versa to talking on behalf of Czech Republic to the other European Union countries. In Brussels, I, um, I went through a PhD in communication and European affairs. So finally, I've got a degree in communication and um, been working for the government for 11 years on a different communication assignments. What did you enjoy about working for the government? Uh, I enjoyed everything, actually, because I, I never thought I would work for somebody else. I just thought, this is how I am. This is what I should be doing. I should help the government to, to communicate properly to the people, to explain things properly, to educate them, because I always thought education goes ahead of communication, because education, especially when we were joining European Union, there is so many populistic voices. And if you just communicate, it's like advertising, you know, you say this or that brand is great, but then people taste it and think, hmm, it's not that great. But if you educate them, it's very different. So um, I don't know, it, for me, it always had a more values than yep. just being in a commercial, commercial world. Yeah. And I never thought I'd leave it. I just, I don't know. My father is very much engaged in a, in a public service kind mm -hmm. of thing. So maybe I just picked it up somehow. Mm -hmm. um, it was also challenging because the system was changing from the communist to democratic. So obviously the countries like ours, we've been, we've been unfortunately learning everything. We just took bad and good at the same time. Right. And we've been trying to shape the new society. So it was very different. Wow, to, what a, to what what a wonderful challenge, year. though, to it was, try to it was really interesting. imagine or find the path between, yeah. as you say, like everything's 
coming in and you had to try to define which was yeah. actually the best path. And it was the time of Václav Havel being a president. I've been very close to him. I have a few photos with him and it was a fantastic time. And then uh, we've been joining NATO as well. You know, so a lot of discussions around NATO. There was a NATO summit at that time in Prague. So all was fantastic and I... I'm really grateful I had a chance to, to be there at that time. Obviously, in public service, higher you get, more pot political it gets. Yeah. At, and and uh, at a certain point, working in a prime minister's office, I was kind of... Uh, it was suggested to me that if I want to continue to grow my career, I should be involved in politics. Right. And that was something I wasn't ready for. I'm, I'm not saying I would never do it. Obviously, you know, there is a lot of uh, cliches about politics. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't ready for that. I was quite young. And, uh, and I, got, um, I got picked by a private sector very quickly. So I've been working in a, in a European funds uh, um, for the Erste Bank for a while. And then I got an offer to work for the biggest uh, mining, hard coal mining company in Czech Republic, which uh, just went for an IPO in London, uh, Warsaw and Prague Stock Exchange. So it was a very different assignment. I've never went through a financial PR before. Uh, but it wasn't only PR, it was even internal communication. So I've been, you know, there was at that time about 30,000 employees, obviously none of them on internet connection. So uh, I've been going down the mine, one kilometer down the mine very often, like every second week I went down the mine, what was fantastic. I uh, tend to fall in love with my job, so I did, I did fall in love with this one. So I am a proper miner. I have the uniform. Okay. I went through the whole traditional stuff with the miners. I've been drinking a lot again uh, <laughs> because they drink a lot. Uh, and they, um, it was a great experience because, you know, when you work uh, on a multiple levels, you work from the financial perspective in London and Amsterdam. But you are also responsible for the internal communication and you actually deal with people working in a company. You have to find a balance because the investors, they hate the word employers. They just don't want to hear about it. They just look at the numbers. And vice versa, the chief operation officers, they are really dealing with people, fatalities, you know, the hardworking environment. So to find the balance, to communicate properly when you talk to the market and to your own employees because they are the, the, the biggest, you know, uh, a communication channel for, for the whole region, for all the stakeholders. So, so it was really, really very interesting. Mm. Um, from there, um, I, as, I, as, I, as I mentioned before, I started uh, when I was pregnant and I left the company when I was pregnant again. So uh, there's a bit of difference uh, <laughs> between, between my, my two girls. I, um, I thought I will have a bit of rest, but I got an offer very quickly to work for uh, McKen Erickson, the McKen Worldwide Advertising yep. Agency. And they were about to set up a PR division and the sustainability, as I was involved a lot in sustainability reporting before. And my one of my first client was a Newton Media Group, which Australians would know like equivalent of Icentia here. It's a media intelligence business. Yep. They've been in a very similar stage to content group at that time. They've been just about to grow and expand. Yep. They uh, expanded within two years. We've been in nine countries including UK. 
It was a very challenging business. Uh, I was one of the first management for Newton Group because um, the owners been still there and really, you know, uh, very, uh, very much in charge of everything. And I think it was also for them, it was uh, new to have a management. So it was very interesting how uh, you perceive somebody who founded its own business and then... You, you pass it to somebody to yeah. actually drive it. So it was it was interesting from my point of view and I think for them too. Mm. And I was really happy because it was it was a mixture of everything I've done before. We've been working for government. It was uh, a lot about communication. Obviously, me working in uh, 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 big corporates in government and agencies, it meant I was the typical client of a media intelligence company. Um, They've been a bit of consulting business as well, and they've been a lot involved in measurement. Yep. So they've been measuring the effectiveness of communication. There is a lot of discussions about how to measure communications. Obviously, you know, marketers would have, would have their uh, return on investment thing in communication. It's not that easy. Uh, there is multiple methods developed these days within AMEC or UK yeah. or whatever. It's not uh, something all the clients would understand and being being involved. So it was great and I really loved it. I loved the people. There have been a lot of technology involved. We yeah. had to shift from clippings of the press yeah. towards the social, which yeah. is challenging, you know. And then you have all the startups around, you know, coming with the tech platforms and yep. stuff. So very interesting. You ended up also on the board of AMEC as well, didn't you? Yes, I did. Uh, I, again, it was a bit like foreign affairs. Uh, when I started with Newton, they said, you have to be become a candidate for AMEC. And I had no idea what AMEC <laughs> means. And I had to... Uh, you know, uh, post my candidature. I had to uh, argue that I'm the right person. But I, I, I've got it. And I must say that only the first conference of AMAC actually made me understand what this is all about. So it was, it's, it's, it's definitely the platform I would, I would recommend. And what is excellent is that it's a worldwide organization. So the people from South America, Australia, you know, Central Europe are are really committed to 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 work properly on yeah. the, on the matrix, which is excellent. And they've done some interestingly that they've introduced that online version now as yes. well, where you're able to input yes. and be able to online and out at spits. You know the the, the dashboard that yeah. you're looking for. Which I, is... I've, I've been still there when this started, yeah. and I like definitely us in London to meet uh, Richard Bengal. He, he's he's one of the author at the moment. He's a he's a president of AMEC. He's a fantastic, very clever guy. Yeah. Um, and then from there, uh, we are back to the beginning. My husband got an offer to go to Australia. Yep. So I got, I, j I just called John Kroll saying, look, I'm coming to Australia. Would you like me to join Ascentia? And so I've been working for Ascentia for more than six months. Yep. It was amazing experience. The most amazing was that it's actually so similar. I just, you know, the second day I just felt nothing has changed. Yeah. Only I'm in Australia. Obviously, yeah. you know, you have um, you have uh, uh, some cultural differences, but it's not that difficult. It was also good for me that I find out that I am actually able to join any business all over the world. Yeah. I've been traveling a lot within Icentia to Asia. So I've been in Hong Kong and Singapore meeting a lot of global clients around the world. 
So it was really great. And then, uh, and I, then I saw a posting on LinkedIn uh, done by David Pembroke <laughs> saying, do you want to be part of something big? <laughs> so, so I thought, yes, of course I want. And, uh, and that was it. So, right. um, here, so here you are. Here we are on a Monday morning having a conversation. Where, what do you see as the big opportunities that are coming in terms of this I always return to this central challenge of how do we improve the effectiveness of government communication so they can strengthen communities and improve the well-being of citizens. This is the mission of Content Group. And I think that while ever we keep that at the heart of what we do, you can't go too far wrong because that's really what drives us on a daily mm. basis around that mission. But when you, when you hear that task and that challenge, given all of that experience that, that you have and that you bring to the table, what are some of the, the things that come to mind for you that are the opportunities uh, and potential for government to improve the way they do things? Huh. The, the, I think there are many answers to that. Yeah. Um, Definitely what makes communication difficult to governments is that there is the politics involved and the messaging is changing quite often. It doesn't mean that the structure of messaging cannot remain the same. And uh, again, the education should go ahead of whatever, you know, communication which goes. Uh, uh, I think there's many things. The first one would be uh, the change of the communication channels because, as you mentioned in the beginning, uh, the world has suddenly changed from publishers uh, being just the you know one-head communication to the audience and suddenly the audience has started to publish and the publishers has to follow, which I think is a fantastic challenge for the government. It's a real challenge because it's not easy to do so. I think they are getting it step by step and trying to understand how to use the social networks to communicate to people. And what is important, what the messaging should be, etc. So um, that's one. Uh, that's one challenge. The second is that uh, you know to use the proper language and the uh, simplicity, as, as as mentioned as well. Sometimes the the governmental people are uh, too, too, you know, they are just too, too much within mm. themselves. Yes. So they they don't uh, perceive the, the the rest of the world uh, in a in a right mm. way. Yeah, well, they presume that everyone understands what they understand. Exactly. And I know there's often, I was in a, a meeting not that long ago and I won't mention which particular government department it was in, but it was quite comical. There was a discussion <laughs> going on and there was acronym after acronym after and, and people yes. conversing in acronyms yeah. and I had no idea what they yeah. were talking about. <laughs> and at some, I had to pull them up and said, well, sorry, but I've got no idea what you're talking about. And yeah. But, and, and... And it wasn't deliberate and it wasn't in any other way other than they weren't considering um, the audience, which was me. They were yeah. trying to explain something to me yeah. but then they didn't realise, they didn't think about yeah. it from my point of view, they just thought about it from yeah. what they wanted to tell me. Exactly. So. And it's from the point of content and it's also from the point of the interest because sometimes, you know, the governmental people will think that obviously they are involved so they are interested and the audience is also interested. <laughs> yeah. but sometimes the topics are completely not interesting to them and won't play any specific, specific role into the citizens' lives unless 
the content is presenting in a way that they get the interest. So yeah. to, to raise the interest about certain things, I think it's a real challenge. It is. Well, and also the, the other thing I think people, and particularly in government, need to get their head around is the fact that, as you mentioned before, that... The, the preponderance of new channels mm -hmm. and choices yeah. and, you know, people can apply their time and attention to an infinite number of mm -hmm. um, areas of particular interest to them. Yeah. And so why would they listen to you? Why, why government, you know, are they interested in what you've got to say? And it's a challenge, I think, or an opportunity, I think, more so that to get government to understand that they do need to sit in the shoes of, you know, yes. walk in the shoes of the people who they're talking to, to really to get that. But uh, we're seeing much more of that, you know, oh. design and co-design and design thinking and, you know, pick mm -hmm. your description around is is popular yeah. and people are now starting to understand that they do need to do this mm -hmm. citizen-centric stuff. So I think that's a, that's a big opportunity, I think, from a content point of view yeah. that a lot of that discovery is going to be taking place, uh, is taking place. Yeah. And then there's the opportunities to say, okay, well, if they're the insights, what do we now need to do in terms of crafting a story that is going to, you know, capture that attention, drive the education and then help them to understand yeah. how they may participate or not participate? Exactly. And when you look around the world, what is happening, you know, the challenges are amazing. It's not only domestic issues, which for politicians would be always the most important because the domestic politics would always influence the communication of whatever big topic. Yeah. But uh, it's, um, it's everything what is happening these days to be able to communicate it properly, not to mislead people, not to, you know, simplicity is a very interesting part of communication, but it's, it's not always simple to actually explain simple yes so i think uh, there is a lot of challenges and from the content point of content group point of view i think it's great that the models uh, content group is working on are the models applicable to all governments it's it's nothing local it's really something all the governments are needing you know, from the European perspective, one of the latest examples would be the migration politics of German government. Yep. You know, the latest statement of Mrs. Merkel was, I still, I'm, I'm still behind my decision. Whatever it took my political points, I'm still behind it. It's such a shame it wasn't communicated properly from the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, they just missed the chance. And the thing with the government is you miss the chance, there is no way back. Right. Whatever you say the, the second day, it's over. So I think, you know, I mean, we don't need to talk about US these days. It's getting really interesting. But, uh, but there is a lot of challenges. And I think the government in here so far, I met a few people. I think they, 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 they are very interested. Yes. They know more and more. They should, you know, consider communication as one of the most important part of it. They should be good in measuring their efforts. I think, not being afraid because sometimes you measure the results are not good and then you don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So it's something also which, you know... But that takes courage, of, doesn't it? You know, where absolutely. people have to st sit in front of a... In Australia, it would be a Senate Estimates Committee and people to be able to say we invested X amount of money yes. and the results didn't are work. didn't work. Yes. And everyone says, um, you know, test and learn, you know, permission to fail... But I had a conversation with someone not that long ago. They said, 
it's great. You can have permission to fail until you fail. Exactly. And then when you fail, you know, everyone gets nervous. So there is that commitment from, you know, senior levels of government in Australia uh, at a municipal level, at a state level, at a federal level, and bipartisanship as well. I think they they all understand that, you know, this changing world mm. requires experimentation and they have to be able to give the people who work for them that permission to experiment because if yes. they don't, they're not going to be effective. And I think it's a bit like with the miners. They, you know, the employees of the public service are suddenly becoming one of the biggest publishers of the governmental's efforts. Yep. So you shouldn't forget that you have a lot of public servants around who are talking to so many people about how, you know, things are developed and what are the plans, etc. So it's something to to get involved as well. And it's it's one of my greatest frustrations also in that, you know, there's, there is obviously contestability around, you know, maybe 5% of, of what goes on, but there's the 95% where government is actually a force for good mm. and there is so much that is being done that is positive, that is locked up mm. inside government because they are communicating inefficiently and ineffectively. And I think that's the our, our task really from our point of view is to give them the skills, give them the knowledge, give them the confidence and give them the frameworks where they can do it for themselves. You know, this isn't about us coming in and doing it for them. We have to build that capability Absolutely. in these organisations so that they can better serve um, you know, they're political masters because that is, you know, that is the task. Yes. Well, listen, Petra, um, this will be the first of a few conversations, no doubt. Um, and welcome to Content Group. I think it's going to be a, yeah, we're sort of sitting on the edge of a pretty large opportunity. You know, we get to go to Bali uh, in, a, in September mm-hmm. to present to the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, our research project with the ANU. Um, ASEAN, 50th year of ASEAN, they're looking for ways to better communicate, you know, what is this block, you know, mm. who are we, what do we stand for and what we, what do we want the world to know? And so we submitted our research project and they said, that sounds good, that sounds something interesting for us. So that's a, a huge opportunity. Uh, I was in Singapore last week, you're familiar with uh, the opportunities in Singapore. Uh, and then later in the year, we'll be heading over to the UK uh, to continue our conversations with our good friends in that part of the world as well to try to get them to see the way we're seeing it, I suppose, and, and to bring this evidence-based model towards governments over there because I think if we can improve the capability of government, and, mm. and I know we can, you know, it's there to happen. You know, there's mm. so many smart people working in government mm. and we're not we're not splitting the atom here. This is the other thing. Someone said to me the other day when I presented the, um, you know, the, the model, uh, he said, well, that's not very complicated. And I said, well, no, that's the point. The point is that it's not very complicated, but it's just a slightly different way of thinking about how we can make the most of the, this gift of technology mm. to be able to go direct. Absolutely. And I think in Asia, particularly, I think they would be really very interested. I think they are still struggling with the communication uh, from the public service uh, because the culture is so different. Yes. The politics is so different. It's very differently perceived by the citizens to comparing to old democratic system. Yeah, correct. Exactly. To gain the trust that, I mean, to become an influencer as a a government, it's very difficult because who who really 
trust in government. Yeah. How much people are engaged, you know, when you look at Indonesia or Thailand, Malaysia, the systems are changing. And uh, I'm, I'm sure they would be very interested. Actually, I think even Chinese government might be very interested because I think China is really suffering uh, from the point of view how they communicate to the people. Um, and, and in Asia, it's more about education. Yeah. I think Europe, US would be more about really bringing an innovation to the communication systems. But Asia, it's very much about education and I think they will be amazingly interested. Well, we, well, we better get to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to do. So thank you very much, Petra, for thank joining me today. and for having me. And thank you very much, audience, for turning up once again. We really do appreciate the fact that you turn up each week to have a listen. Um, about this particular task. You know, it's a very narrow, very niche sort of audience, but um, I know that there's many of you out there who enjoy um, this particular challenge because it does sit with a great purpose underneath it all. So um, th thank you very much for joining us again this week. And for now, uh, we'll be back at the same time next week, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.